Father God, thank you so much for your love. Thank you that you are here. Thank you that you care. Thank you that you do walk every day of our lives with us. Thank you, Father, that you've blessed us so much. Lord, you died for us. Sometimes, Lord, we don't stop and just understand exactly what that means. Oh, Jesus, help us to know you better. Help us to know your character, Father. By your Spirit, teach us to know you and your ways. For our ways are not like your ways, and our thoughts are not like your thoughts. But would you make it so that it is the truth, that we are like you, that we might know you. Amen. Well, we're back in Exodus, for those of you that, that were here when we did Exodus last time. I think it was last year, towards the middle slash end of last year, we were looking at Exodus, and we saw Moses in chapter 17, they're just about to, to go in and, and, and follow where God is leading, and they're standing there, and the Amalekites come and attack them. And you remember, it's one of the fantastic stories because the Amalekites are attacking. Moses goes up on, onto a hill, uh, takes two aides, uh, Aaron and somebody else's name I've forgotten, and while Moses' hands are lifted, the battle is winning. The, the Israelites are succeeding. And as soon as Moses' hand starts falling, the battle starts going against God's people. And so we see this wonderful picture of, of Moses' offsiders holding his hands up until the night, um, and the Israelites have a resounding victory. We saw there <coughs> people reacting to what God was doing to save His people, and they reacted negatively. And now we're going to come to, to Exodus chapter 18, and I want to suggest to you that this chapter is all about knowing God. And, and that comes in two parts. It's, it's about getting to know who God is. And then it's about really getting to know God deeply. You might think this is a bit of a weird passage to preach on. It's about a family visit and how you judge. Not much material, you might think, but, but hopefully we're going to find that there is an incredible amount for us in this chapter. I think what we always got to say when we come to the Old Testament is that, is that the Old Testament never just reports facts. The Old Testament tells us stories with a purpose. It writes, it's, it's written down, these, these incidents in chapter 18, so that we might learn something about who God is and something about who we are. And I think we, we start off by learning that God is the Redeemer. This is a weird passage over here. We, we learn that, that sometime uh, while Moses was in Egypt, having his to and fro with Pharaoh, he sent his wife and kids back home to his father-in-law, to Jethro. 
Bible doesn't tell us about him sending them home. Last we hear about Zipporah and Gershom um, is in chapter 4, verse 20-ish, when we hear that they're on the way to Egypt. Sometime between then, Moses sent them back. In fact, Eliezer, his second son, this is the first time we hear about him. Poor lad, it's also the last time we hear about him. But we're told about Moses' two sons for a reason. I, I think the reason is clear when we look that the author actually thought, hey, these two boys, it's pretty important that I should tell you why Moses named them what he named them. So the first one, parents can be weird. Like I understand Moses was going through some tough stuff. But you don't name your kid, I was an alien. A while back we had the sermon um, about the, the guy whose name was painful. Anyway. But as they come and visit... We find some meaning in this boy. Because Moses named him Gershom. And we're told here, for Moses said, I have become an alien in a foreign land. And as the Israelites are on their way out of captivity in Egypt, into the land of the promise, they could look back and say, I too was an alien in a foreign land. I too was where I once was against my will. I too was an outcast. I too suffered. But we hear also that Moses' the second son, Eliezer, arrives. And, and, and here is not a, a reminder of suffering, but a um, a sign that, that in the midst of everything that went on for Moses, he experienced something of God. He came to know that God is the one who saw him through safely. And so he says, after a while, he had a second son, and he named him, my father's God was my helper. He saved me from the hand, from the sword of Pharaoh. Here, do you see what happened in Moses' life between the two events? The one event, he is just desperately sad, and how can this be? I'm an alien, it's not fair, it's not right. And then he thought about it and said, hey, but I'm alive and God has rescued me, and I know something of Him, and, and in fact, He has shown something of Himself to me, and He says, yes, even though I am an alien, my Father's God has been my helper, and He has rescued me. And I don't think we even need to mention how applicable this is to the Israelites who were aliens and who were helped. Good names for us as well because isn't it true that as Christians we also are strangers here and that God has helped us. And has rescued us. Anyway, so we've got 
Moses is in the desert just before Mount Sinai, in, in the area of Mount Sinai. In a couple of chapters, we're going to see the giving of the law. <coughs> they haven't quite arrived, but as they're sitting here, somehow word has got back to Jethro, who's a priest of Midian. Word has got back to him that, that the Israelites have escaped, that God has done miraculous things, and he finds this is a great opportunity to get rid of his daughter and grandsons. And he says, I'm going to send them back to Moses. Now, just for your information, the land of Midian is really close to the land of the Amalekites. And so it's no surprise that he's heard what has happened. In fact, later on we find the, the Midianites, whom Jethro belongs to, um, turning to be enemies of the Israelites. But at this stage, his response to what God has done is totally different to what the Amalekites' response was. Their response was, God is great, let's wipe him out before he causes us any trouble. Jethro's response is, wow! This is impressive. You know what? He could have just sent a slave to take his daughter and grandsons to Moses. But I think he takes this as an opportunity to come himself and to, and to meet himself, the God of the Israelites. Because there's something about the story of what God has done that is incredibly attractive to Jethro. I mean, verse 1, Jethro, the priest of Midian, by the way, Midian is not a God-fearing country. This is a pagan priest. Jethro, the priest of Midian, the father-in-law of Moses, heard of everything that God had done for Moses and for his people Israel and how the Lord had brought Israel out of Egypt. And together with his sons and, uh, with Moses' sons and wife, Jethro came to him, verse 5, in the desert where he was camped near the mountain of God. And he sent a messenger along saying, Hey, Moses, I, Jethro, your father-in-law, I'm coming. I want to hear. I've heard the rumors. I've heard the rumors of what God has done. And I want to find out for myself if this is true. And he comes along. I'm sure Moses greeted his wife and sons, but the Bible doesn't mention that. All the Bible mentions is Jethro arrives there and Moses falls flat to the ground in front of him, invites him back into his tent. And what does he do in the tent? He tells his father-in-law about everything the Lord had done to Pharaoh and the Egyptians for Israel's sake. Jethro arrives because he's heard what God has done. And Moses' response is to say, come on in. Let me tell you what God has done. Now, so often we think that to witness is something really difficult and you need special training and, oh, I haven't done the course in witnessing to my neighbors. Do you know what, do you know what the course in witnessing to your neighbors is? Know what God's done. It's quite easy because there's something attractive about the gospel as well. 
And so people say, what is this? Why are you different, perhaps? And you can say, well, well, I, I'm different because God has done this for me. God sent His Son and He died for me and He's, he's brought goodness into my life and He's done so much good to me and just last week this happened to me and God has been... And, and you just tell the story of how God has been active in your life. That's what witnessing is all about. It's, it's about telling what God has done. You remember in Mark chapter 5, the, the Gerasene, Gerasene demoniac, uh, the guy who had a legion of demons in him, he's on the Gentile side of the lake, Jesus heals him, uh, the people of the area tell Jesus to go away because he's frightening, and, and the man says, I want to go with you, Jesus, and Jesus says to him, hey, instead of coming with me, why don't you go and tell everyone what God has done for you? And the man goes off and tells everyone what Jesus has done for him. I mean, that, at the end of the day, is what witnessing is all about. That's the point of good news, is to share it. Is to tell people all the good things that God has done. But for goodness sake, don't mention the hard bits of being a Christian. Hard bits? Anyone? Anyone got any hard bits of being a Christian? Don't mention the martyrs. Don't mention the personal sacrifices that you make. Don't mention the sorrows. Don't mention the times when you doubted. Good question. Of course mention it. Have a look at what Moses did. He took his father-in-law, who is curious, so curious that he comes all the way to meet Moses when he could have sent a servant. He tells him all that the Lord has done. But look what he says there. He says what the Lord has done to Pharaoh and the Egyptians for Israel's sake and about all the hardships that they had met along the way and how the Lord had saved them. Moses doesn't take Jethro into the tent and give him a sugar-coated version of, well, nothing really bad happened to us at all. Pharaoh, just let us go. He says it was tough. And there were trials. And we were made to work hard before Pharaoh let us go and increased our labor. And then when we were in the desert, well, we went the desert way. There's a shortcut to get to Israel. But God said, no, you're going the long way. And then, say, and then God took us to the Red Sea and we were trapped. And then God subjected us to disappointment at Mara. And we came to the land of sin and we were so hungry we didn't know what to do. And then God took us to Rephidim and boy, do you know what it means to be thirsty. And then God brought us this far and we've just been attacked by the Amalekites. Following God's difficult, Jethro. But you know what? Pharaoh made us work harder and then God rescued us. And Pharaoh was about to attack us at the Red Sea and then God made a way for us to cross. And, and, and we were disappointed at Mara. 
and then God gave us good water. And we were hungry, and you know what? God gave us food. Look, there's some over there. And we were thirsty, and what happened? God made water come from the rock. And that giant Amalekite army, we held Moses' hands up to God, and we won. No way we should have won, but we won. You see, this is witnessing. This is saying all the good that God has done. And all the bad that we've experienced and all the way that God has taken that and turned it for our good and used it for our good. That's, you know what, let's, let's tell the truth when people ask us what it's like to be a Christian. Don't just say it's the best thing in the world. Say it's the best thing in the world even though sometimes it's really tough. But do you know what, it's even better because it's tough. Because I know now that God is great and that God saves me. And that nothing can stop God saving me. You can quote Romans 8 to them. I'm convinced that nothing in this world can separate me from the love of God. Because every time something tries, God has just turned it around and rescued me. You know, Jethro gets that. This, this pagan priest, this non-follower of God, gets it. Verse 11, he turns to Moses and says, Wow! Now I know that there is no God among all the gods like God. The Lord is greater than all other gods. I know this. And he, he, he throws a party. He celebrates. He rejoices. He's, I mean, you would have seen his smile from space. Jethro is excited. And he worships God. Now, all the different theologians will argue about whether he became a follower of God or not. I think it's pretty likely. At the very least, his life had a turnaround moment here. Here is a man who has served as the priest of idols, turning around going, well, that's no good. No God like that guy. And do you, know what, do you know what brought about the change? People told him about what God had done for them. Isn't that so easy? How do you know God? How do you get to know God? Well, somebody introduces you. Somebody says, hey, God did this for me. God has done all of this for me. Through the good times, through the bad times, He has been my God. And Jethro worships the Lord. And he offers a sacrifice. And all of the, the elders and, and Aaron and Moses go and they, they celebrate in the presence of God. You know, ever since God chose Abraham, the big question up until this point has been, what about all the other nations of the world? God says, I will rescue you, Abraham. What about everyone else? And I think the answer starts to come here in chapter 18, where Jethro, one of the others, worships God. 
And just notice why he worships God. He worships God because God rescued Israel. Through Israel, he comes to follow God. I mean, it's, it's clear that God has always been about more than just one nation. Um, you've got that wonderful story of Naaman with leprosy, a foreign army commander. Comes to God and having been healed, he says, there is no other God. You've got Ruth, Moabites, becomes a descendant of David and then through, through David, Jesus. In Isaiah chapter 19, Isaiah speaks of a time when even Egypt, the arch enemy, comes to worship the Lord and comes to know Him and turns to God. And Jesus says at the end of Matthew, He says, um, as you go into all the nations, make disciples. As you go into all the nations, make disciples. How do you make disciples? Well, you tell them what God has done. Don't airbrush it. Ephesians chapter 6, Paul says he is an ambassador in chains. Philippians 1, he says, I'm in jail in defense of the gospel. difficult to airbrush the gospel if you're sitting in jail because of it. You know, that's what Paul did. He sat in jail and he said, come to Jesus. He is the only way to truly live. You see, this first half of chapter 18 is all about coming to know God. Telling the story of what God has done and And yes, it's about us telling others, but at the end of the day, it's about what God has done. God takes the initiative. And it's exciting. And I think think if, if people understood something of what God has done, there's an attraction and an attractiveness to it. But there is a problem also here in chapter 18. And the problem in chapter 18, the second half, is a problem of not knowing God well enough. So we've got Moses here, and he's fallen into the trap of being responsible for all the people. Um, Probably a regular thing that he'd get out his chair early in the morning, sun's just come up, he'd sit down, and the people would come to him, millions of people in the camp, probably quite a few problems. They would come to him, and from sunup to sundown, he would judge their cases. Why? Jethro, Jethro says to him, Mate or son-in-law, what are you doing? You're dead tired at the end of the day and the people are still upset because half of them haven't been, had a chance to see you. It's not good. But why does Moses do it? Why does Moses have to take up this responsibility he thinks by himself? Well, simply put, there's there's one reason why. It's because Moses is the one who speaks with God. God speaks with Moses. Moses is the mediator between God and the people. 
And so the problem, the, the, the big problem here, isn't just that Moses is wearing himself out. The big problem here is that the people don't know God for themselves. They're coming to, to Moses. Why? So that they can get rulings according to the will of God. They want to know, Moses, what is the right thing to do here? What is, what is the godly thing to do in this situation? Because yes, we know that God has rescued us. And we know that He's done all of this. But look, bring it down to, to real life for us, Moses. Bring it down. Rubber hits the road. What does it mean to be a follower of God when this happens? When my neighbor has, has stolen my cow? What does that mean? What does it mean, Moses, when I've accidentally run over somebody's cat? I don't know if they had cats. Oh, they probably did. We don't, we don't know what it means to live as followers of God ourselves. Moses, Moses is the one who dealt with God. Did you see that problem? The whole nation... And there's Moses, standing as the gateway to knowing, to really knowing who God is. And so Jethro's advice is more than just, you know, getting the job done more efficiently. It happens to get the job done more efficiently. But Jethro's advice is, hey Moses, get some people to help you out. You know, sort it out. You'll, you'll have groups of 1,000, 150, and 10. You'll, down the line, everyone will get sorted out. And you just choose some men. Okay, and, and choose the good men. Choose men, A, who are not going to accept bribes for their judgments. That's really important. But actually, the first criteria that Jethro says, Moses, choose men who fear the Lord. Okay, yeah, they, they still don't understand everything, but, but choose men who want to follow God. And yes, difficult cases, Moses, you'll sort out. Well, that's fine. But, but look what else he says to Moses. Moses, you've got to remember what your big job is. Your job. Your job, Moses. Well, you've got to concentrate on the calling that God has given you. You are the mediator for God. You, you are to be Godward for the people. You are to teach the people God's decrees and His laws. Verse 19. You must be the people's representative before God and bring their disputes to Him. Teach them the decrees and laws and show them the way to live and the duties they are to perform. See what he says there? He says instead of sorting out cases one by one, teach others to sort out cases. Moses, you know something about the character of God. Teach that to the others. You know, when it talks about the laws and instructions, law is, law is more than just do this, don't do that. Law is, law is more than just instructions. When we speak about the law of God, 
we find something of the character of God. And Jethro says, Moses, teach others about the character of God so that they too can know God. And that's, that's what all of the commandments are about. It's not about making sure that we tick off all the right boxes. It's, it's so that we know something of who God is. And it's why when we come to the New Testament, it's when, when we talk about knowing God, it's, it's more than just having laws to follow. In fact, God prophesied and said that in these days He would write His law on our hearts. So that we actually know Him. Psalm 119, I have written your law on my heart that I might not sin against you. See, the law is about the story of what God has done. We get to know God as we're told that story. But we need to know the character of God. We need to know God better. You know what? There are people in this room right now who have had a wealth of experience knowing God. There's a man at the back of there wearing a green jumper who's had 79 years, 364 days on this earth. I'm not sure quite how many of them you've known God, but... It's probably more than me. He can tell me something about the character of God. There'll be other people here who know something about the character of God who will be able to say to me, Hey, Nick, in this situation, I went through something similar and you know what? This is what I learned about, about the godly way to deal with this. There's a wonderful prophecy about the time when, when Jesus comes back and makes us all new. God says, in those days, no longer will a man have to say to his brother, know the Lord. Because we will all know him. You know what, let's, let's, let's do two things. Let's boldly tell people about what God has done for us. And let's share what we know about the character of God with each other. One is for those outside the church. One is for those inside the church. And then let's move on and follow God. Amen.